Podcasting greatness, and this week I am welcoming Seth Andrews. Now he is—he has a channel called the Thinking Atheist, and I would like him to please clarify for us how he is not the Thinking Atheist, but he is putting this out there that maybe thinking is a good thing for us to be doing. Yeah, I tried to—I tried to get in front of it. I didn't do a very good job in the beginning, but like on the website, the first line is, you know, the Thinking Atheist is not a person. The podcast, the intro says, the thinking atheist, it's not a person. The thinking atheist is a symbol. Okay, it's a symbol. Because I came out of a faith culture, you know, belief over knowledge, fake it till you make it kind of a thing. I mean, they didn't think of it that way. I didn't think of it that way. But it really was uh, a, you know, trust in the Lord. But don't trust the data. Don't trust the science. Don't trust facts as much as you trust sort of this uh, internal compass guided by the Holy Spirit. And it was when I started to reject faith and look around and say, well, you know, does two plus two really equal five? You know, that began to open the doors for me. And so while I, you know, I don't say, well, I want to make people atheists. Now I'm convinced that people are better off without theistic religion, certainly. My big thing is I just want people to give themselves permission to think for themselves. You know, you don't have to carry a family mantle. You don't have to to, you know, live like your family and culture, vote like them, think like them, worship like them. You can think it through on your own terms, find out whatever that means and do that. So I think that's what my dream for the website, the podcast, the community has been over these past 12 years. Excellent. Well, I, you know, in our previous interactions, and now I have never seen anything else but you know, sort of, I, I don't, I won't say always calm, but certainly reasoned <laughs> approaches to topics. That's what your channel's about. And that's, and, and it has been an inspiration for me. I mean, quite honestly, I'm very serious about this. You are one of the people who from the very beginning was somebody I sought to, uh, I guess, emulate in a way, you know, in terms of, of your personality or your, your calm and the way that you rationally approach things, I thought that was very, very smart and very not always easy, ask. though. It's not always easy, Chris. You know? I know. I've, I've had my <laughs> moment in the valley, you know. Yes. And I, I it's cyclical. Uh, you know, I, I go through some moments in my life, Chris. I'm sure you're the same way. Where I'm like, you know, they're victims. Many of these people never had a shot. Yep. Uh, they have been programmed. It's like a you know, your parents, if you are indoctrinated by a parent, it's like they install a program on your hard drive. And you are never made aware that there's an uninstall option or other programs might run better than the one that was fitted. You just run the program. It's just all you know. It's what you're comfortable with. And uh, for a, a variety of reasons, you know, you are a victim of not having better information. And so in some ways, I'm like, you know, I get it. I, I feel for these people. I was once one of those people. And then, you know, when the sine wave goes up, you know, the race car goes up into the red. I'm just like, what's the matter with you? What is, why aren't you listening? Why don't you see reason? I've got the data points right here. You're doing incredible damage. Holy shit. Now you're pounding all this nonsense into your children and they will do it to their children. And I find myself getting all worked up. 
I sometimes too, I, you know, I get frustrated by the lack of traction I have in many of the conversations that I have. And uh, forgive me, just spinning off into oblivion, Chris. But <laughs> when I first came out of the faith, I was so freaking naive because I thought, well, once I talk to believers and show them the information that I have recently discovered, if I show them the contradictions or the atrocities in Scripture, and if I show them the scientific evidence, and if I go and reveal to them that goodness exists far beyond any religious model, blah, 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 they will all slough off their religious shackles, and we will all hold hands, and we will sing Kumbaya together, and we will all enter this next chapter of rationality, you know. And that's never happened. It just does not happen like that. And uh, I, you know, I've gone through, um, in many ways, valleys of discouragement for that reason, because it does feel, I mean, you feel that way, Chris, you feel like you're smashing your head against the brick wall, right? I, you know, I feel that same kind of frustration, too, because, of course, I came out of Scientology and was making videos. And, of course, you you do this in an effort to reach the flock, the people you used to be friends, partners, spouses, <laughs> everything with, you know, family. And, um, and there was an effort on my part to try to reach them, to try to get to them. And then you find, you know, on a fairly immediate basis, I was not getting a lot of positive feedback from the Scientology world. <laughs> right? hey, I was talking to, if I can jump in here, I was yeah. talking to an activist named Kimberly Stover who left a high control religion. And she said something that has been true for me that she doesn't even bother with family at this point. Like my activism, these discussions are not about, I'm not going to, have any illusion I'm going to deconvert my mother, father, siblings, whatnot. Most of my work is really about other people. And it shifted because, you know, where I was getting no traction with the dogmatic. You engage an apologist all the time in the one-on-ones and you get nowhere. Everybody leaves frustrated. I've become more about the people who are where I once was, right? Maybe they're being honest with themselves enough to tap on the glass Maybe they just need to know they're not alone. You know, the, the people who aren't totally shut off, I have uh, really changed the focus of what I do and to help educate the non-theistic community about what these religions, cults, high control groups do, how they maneuver warning signs about uh, what they might be, you know, how they might be damaging the culture. And I sense that's true for you, right? You, you don't walk into a room thinking you're going to convince you know, your bio family on the immediate family tree, I get the vibe that you're more about, hey, here's the shit that Scientology is doing. And I also want to encourage people who think maybe this isn't working, that it's okay. I mean, you know, is, is that accurate for you? Absolutely, it is. Yeah. Yes. And what I've come to learn is that there are, you know, like there are stages of development, I guess you could say, as we get older, as we grow, you know, through life, we have these things called stages of development. Well, there's sort of stages of cult activity or or belief or or group membership or whatever you want to call it, because it's not just with cults that this happens, that that there is this that you can get people into uh, or there is this uh, uh, fence sitting phase people can get into or go into. Right. And and it can take time. It can take a lot of time. Sometimes it can take, you know, way more time than we would like it to for people we really care about. But it can still and often does happen, especially when these groups are abusive and destructive, because 
people respond negatively to that. And these abusive groups tend to distribute or share that abuse amongst the membership. Eventually, everybody gets a you know, smack on the head. And when that starts happening is when, you know, people start rethinking their, their earlier decisions. But they're not ready to necessarily hear your message when you first start saying it. In other words, like with me. But maybe some of those people who eight years ago when I first started talking are now in a place where they're going to hear my message, you know. So, so I've noticed over the years that you just keep putting the message out there. You keep putting the truth out there as you see it. You support it with as many facts and, and reasons and ideas as you can. And people will keep, take hold of it and do something with it and agree with some people will agree with it. Other people won't. But you're just kind of doing the best you can. And that's really, as content creators, kind of the best we can do unless we're going to go to another level of activism. But at this at this point, this is what we're doing is we're putting information out there. And and it's been an adjustment for me as a little crusader <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. to rethink the metrics of what I can and can't accomplish with this. You know, and I and think, too, there is um, I now have a greater understanding of how the brain defends itself, right? Yes. We just did a recent broadcast called Can You Reason With Unreasonable People? Mm. And you and I are people who were reasoned out of our unreasonable faith. So I really do think, you know, this whole notion, well, you can't reason someone out of something they weren't reasoned into to begin mm. with. Well, actually, they reasoned themselves into it. It was just bad reasoning. <laughs> and I just totally reject this idea that we can't reason someone out of a bad position. But... Uh, we have discovered through brain science that when someone's beliefs that are attached to their identity are challenged, the amygdala fires up and they have the same brain response that they would do a physical threat. Exactly. You know, if they exactly. felt like their body was in danger, you know, I'm in physical danger. You fight, you flight. But uh, the same thing happens often whenever someone's you know, core identity in terms of religious beliefs, even political beliefs, whatever beliefs are challenged, you have a doubling down, you bristle, you fight, you flight, right? Exactly. Uh, or you fight or flee. But I like fight or flight as, you know, because that's how it's, it's known. And it's interesting because when you see that that's how those responses are going to happen in almost every case, it changes your tactic where, you know, you make people aware that, you know, I don't buy it. I myself am totally unconvinced. I believe goodness exists without God. And then you demonstrate that life in full view of these people so that they don't feel threatened. They don't feel like you're attacking them in the hopes that maybe at some point they'll be honest enough with themselves to say, well, you know, maybe this stuff isn't jiving. Maybe it's not working. And then who's their first point of contact to talk these things through? Hello, I'm right here, right? <laughs> and uh, so that's been one of my tactics to... To, uh, to try to demonstrate, you know, I mess up their categories because in their mind, if you don't believe in a God, you're rudderless, you live your life in a, you know, a dark cloud of, of an orgy of misery and despair <laughs> and you have right. no purpose and you have no goodness. And, you know, what? what? Right. Consuming and they look Satan's at me and they're like, hey, you know, <laughs> that's doing pretty good. He's happy. He's centered. Uh, that doesn't really wash. And so don't tell me that they're not trying to work that out in their brain. That's clashing, you know. Exactly. And, uh, you know, maybe at one point they're like, well, maybe, maybe he does have goodness. Maybe, maybe when this stuff over here doesn't make sense, maybe he's onto something. And then hopefully I have this, you know, this idea that they may come scratching on my door and we can have a real conversation about it. 
Well, you know, that's that's a really good point. I wanted to add to what you were saying there because I've made that argument. I, I, I know I've tweeted this out before about, you know, the, the, the thing you said about uh, how you can't reason somebody out of something because they didn't reason their way into it. I actually have said those exact words or something very similar to them, but I want to... But what I realize in agreeing with you, because I do with what you just said, my, um, my, my twist on it or whatever is the, the thing that I think gets missed it, by some people making that argument or trying that approach is they negate the power of the emotional component, the emotional needs. And they look at data as data, as raw information, as facts. And my facts will destroy your faith, your lack of facts. And therefore, I'm going to reason you out of this thing by destroying your arguments of apologetics or faith or whatever, because I look at my facts. And I've tried to temper that with, you know, you're not going to reason somebody out. But I think what I really meant, now that I'm sitting here thinking about it, is that you're not going to reason them out that way. Yeah, that's true. You see, and, and, and I think what is required for that argument to be true is that we follow it up with as long as you're taking into account that, that it's a pretty demonstrable fact at this point that emotional needs, that an emotional component of, this, of our decision-making process far outweighs our use of facts and reason when we come to decisions. You know, and I think that that needs to be part of the equation or part of the, you know, what we think about when we're talking about changing hearts and minds. Well, and I'll agree totally that in my own life, I can't reason my dogmatic family mm -hmm. out of their unreasonable faith. Mm -hmm. It's true. I, I think it's true in the sense that if you find somebody who is what they call doxastically closed, they are a closed system, they are sending, they are not receiving, the walls are being refortified by the moment. I'm not going to reason them out of their faith. Right. But I do think if you find somebody who is willing to be honest with themselves and is perhaps going through that journey, you know, where maybe things aren't the way they seem, yep. I think that's fertile ground where you really can reason. But but I do agree with you that if you're talking, you know, if you're talking to the apologist who's looking down his the high mountain down his nose with that nauseating piety that they just, I'm not going to convince them with the facts. I'm not going to reason him or her out of an unreasonable faith. I guess it all comes to maybe that it's situational. Maybe that's a more fair way to say it. Well, exactly. I, context is king has been my catchphrase for, for quite a while now because you can't evaluate. You know, we, we try, so it, it's almost cute the way we try to fit the complexities of human behavior into algorithms and, and models and, you know, and, and learning, you know, doing the, the sort of academic journey I'm doing now with this master's program has really opened up uh, uh, a tremendous reality to me that my views are just one of a million views and that, that there's nothing special or amazing or wonderful because they're my views they just happen to be mine. That's all, right? And yeah. and that there are many other valid ways of looking at things and seeing situations or interpreting or or trying to figure out how to solve certain problems. And the wonderful thing about education is how it how it does give you that that sort of you know look or, or it can at least this. And I think it has everything to do with 
with our ability to, to tolerate and understand and empathize with other people that we're, that we're able to, to, to have that, you know. There are a couple of things I'd like to, I'm going to try to make this not a freaking monologue, but that's what happens when you invite a host <laughs> to guest on your show. There's a couple of things that I planted a flag at in my brain. The first one, there's this very smug tendency by people who say that atheists are rational, religious people are irrational. As if atheism determines that you are a rational person about, I mean, doesn't you, you may be an atheist who you don't hold a God belief, but you don't hold a God belief for an irrational reason. Or, you know, the aliens told me there is no God. I mean, those people are out there. You'll find somebody who's never actually thought it through in their own life. Maybe they got the God question right, but they're irrational and unreasonable about so much else in their life. And this mm -hmm. idea that somehow we've exempted ourselves from being impressionable, biased, flawed human beings on this planet simply because we got the God question right. You know, there's an arrogance there that really bugs me. Because I'm, I've been doing this since 2009, and I've met a ton of people. I've met flat earth atheists. I've met wild conspiracy atheists. Hell, I've just met awful human beings. They are not remotely humanistic. I would rather be with my Christian wife than spend another second with this horrible, toxic atheist, even mm -hmm. though that atheist and I lined up the same on the God question. So, you know, I really would like to see us get past those labels and start looking more at the human being. What is our value system? What do we, you know, are you rational about other things? Do you have a pattern of rational thinking and behavior? Are you a good listener? Are we having conversations? And back to your point about emotion, I am so glad you brought this up, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. When I first started producing videos for The Thinking Atheist, I came out of audio and video production where we use emotive tools, right? So the way I edit, the way I light a set, the way I use music to try to draw you in to the story, people were pissed. Why in the world are you trying to manipulate me, to manipulate my emotions? We are rationalists. In other words, they think that atheists are supposed to be Vulcans. Right. And we just, we are logical only. And the emotive part of us, well, that's a cheat. And I get it to a degree because many of these people have legitimately been manipulated by the church in damaging ways. Yes. But people change their minds, number one, from a position of safety. So I don't think you ever attack someone into changing their minds. They have to feel safe enough to go through that. Okay? Bingo. Yep. Two, it is just fine to engage the mind and the heart. And while I agree with documentary filmmaker and storyteller Ken Burns that all storytelling is manipulation, it doesn't have to be disingenuous manipulation. When I draw you forward, to tell you the story of someone who escaped a high control cult and found their voice and started a new chapter and now they're changing the world. And I use lighting and I use graphics and I use emotive music and I, I just amplify the message that was already being honestly told. I'm not lying to you. I want you to feel something about the things you're thinking about. And we as an atheist movement, we need to get over that because I think storytelling is probably one of the, if not the most effective ways that we are going to change minds. I want to engage the whole person. That includes the heart as well as the mind. And when we surrender the heart to churches, we are surrendering a key part 
of the human experience, and we're just handing it back to religion. Now, religion does it well, but you know, humans do it naturally all the time. So. That's right. That year. Sorry, I'm, I'm navigating. I've got cold medicine <laughs> running through my veins. It's allergy medicine. Uh, it's pollen season. So if you see me sniffle occasionally, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm, I'm not weeping out of emotion because the emotiveness of this interview has gotten to me. I have my box of, uh, of handy Kleenex. <laughs> so, <laughs> no problem. But well, anyway, I mean, you, yeah. you track with that, right? I'm oh, sick yeah. and tired of atheists telling us that somehow we have to shut off a huge part of the human experience because emotions are all always deceptive. They are not. They are a part of life. You That's know? right. That's exactly right. And I'm going to say something um, potentially controversial right now in terms of the atheist world, but I, 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 I think you and I both have gone through a couple arcs in our lives when it comes to, you know, a group membership and our view of the world. And I think that we have seen, you know, through our faith, through our journey of faith and, out, and coming out of faith, and then joining into a skeptic community and, uh, you know, a humanist community, a lot of labels, you know, even if you go back a few years, Atheist Plus, <laughs> remember that? Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Joy of joy. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, we see behind the curtain a little bit. You know, you start getting this Wizard of Oz phenomena of like, okay, I've seen the smoke and mirrors. I see how all this works. And what I mean by that is that you can go all in on something. You know, you go all in on your faith or you go all in on skepticism. You go all in on anything. And this is what I've come to learn about extremism is you can go all in on a thing. No matter what it is you go all in on, as a human being, eventually, you're going to be disappointed by it because there is no perfect thing. There's certainly no perfect group. Yeah. And now destructive cults, of course, high control groups are actively abusing their members, which is why I, I speak out so, so much about them. But any group is going to disappoint. And you're going to go through that phase, and then you're going to have this disaffection, this, oh, it wasn't everything I thought it was. It's not, you know, the be-all, end-all. But that's a good thing, because you're right. It's not, and it never was, <laughs> and you never should have gone all in on it. It's okay to have a moderate, temperate, you know, sort of like, um, I'm missing the word, but, you know, you modulated. Like, you you know, you it's okay to not be in this euphoric Ah, oh, it's the everything of everything kind of state. Yeah, it's, it's almost like being you know? infatuated yes. before you fall in love. That's right. right. That's right. You know, it's like it's like dating that person. They can do no wrong and everything they say is funny. And we just we never argue and we're always together. And right. It's just beautiful. <laughs> and, you know, and there's actually brain science that talks about the fact that you are getting high on that other person, right? That's exactly And all right. of a sudden, after 12 to 18 months, those chemicals in the brain start to go down. And maybe they aren't quite so funny. And maybe, maybe I don't want your dirty underwear on my floor. And I wish you'd cook better food and, you know, stop talking so much. And, you know, and now we're starting to see the flaws. There's a little bit of that going on. I think, too, I didn't mean to hijack what you were saying, brother. Mm -mm, no, me. please. You're, but, great. Um, you know, there is this another idea, never meet your heroes. There's some truth to that, <laughs> yeah, because you're seeing the airbrushing of people. You know, you, yeah. you're, you're seeing most of us whenever we've had a chance to add the filter and do the editing and, 
And I'm hoping that we're doing that in a genuine way. And not, you know, I'm, I try to be honest about my my you know, warts and all, flaws and all, the days I'm not at my best, et cetera. But there is a thinking out there when you are that all in, and then you find out that, you know, so-and-so screwed up or so-and-so said something stupid, uh, or I just disagree, or maybe they're not everything I thought they were. We tend to lose our minds. We feel betrayed. Mm -hmm. Often, you know, if it's someone who's a good person who's just said something bad or maybe had a bad idea, we just throw the baby out with the bathwater. We're like, fine, you're dead to me. Right. I hate that, yep. you know? Or if they find a flaw or mistake that they made, I'm one of those people, I, with a few exceptions, don't believe that your life is defined by your worst mistake. Um, there are extreme examples, I think, that will be an exception to the rule. And then there's this other notion that the movement is broken. And I see this sort of hipster mentality in the comments section. I left the movement after the movement left me kind of. right. you know and it's almost like the the people who like an indie band you know man yeah. if they ever have a hit record or if they ever produce a song i don't like i'll never listen to them again and, and they sort of wear that like a like a ribbon you know like a like a badge of honor like yeah you know i'm above it all but i don't think there's an atheist movement I mean, good luck defining that. Exactly. What, what is the atheist movement? Is it the people on YouTube doing counter-apologetics videos against Ken Hoven? What about the squillions of podcasters out there, atheist or rational or humanistic podcasters? You've got authors of all shapes and stripes who've written books. Is that the movement? What about organizations? I'm on the board of directors of American Atheists. Well, is that single organization defining atheist activism? No. Uh, the American Humanist Association. What about students? The Secular Student Alliance. I mean, there's so many gears in this machine. They operate together, but they also operate independently. And so when somebody falls from grace, and we've seen it, we have seen some people who have just, you know, we found out they were toxic, or they said or did something that was just disqualifying. This movement, however you define it, purged them and said, we reject you for this. You, you don't represent us. Yeah. You are being damaging to other people. And when someone sees the fall from grace, pardon the expression, they'll declare the whole movement is contaminated. Oh, the whole thing is, the whole thing is just a, like a, they're all like another religion. That's right. And I just want to reach through the monitor and shake them. What are you talking about? Because at this moment, there is somebody who was, who is rather where I was, and they are, they're Google searching what is atheism? What is humanism? What is it like not to, not to believe in God? What does that mean? And they'll stumble upon any number of these resources that I just mentioned, and those resources just may change their life the way a Christopher Hitchens video changed mine. So while these hipsters are busy throwing stones from the cheap seats, I'm like, you know, even though we are flawed and have bad agents and have our moments of scandal and all these other things, it is high time for us to get engaged and remain engaged, fix what's broken, keep kicking, and let's stop with this sort of hipsty, uh, hipster indie band sort of uh, discarding of everything simply because human beings prove to be flawed. Well, I don't know. I went off on a soapbox. No, you <laughs> very good one because you're making a really good point that I want to respond to, and this is both with young people and it is also with this disaffected crowd I talk about. And I think we're talking about two different groups, but they have very similar behavior. And the, and the reason why is, is the save the world complex. It's the 
It's the all in, the extremism thing, right? There yeah. is nothing easier to do than rile young people up and get them on board some movement and um, and get them convinced that they're saving the world. They're they're naturally in a frame of mind where they they glom on to as a body. I'm, obviously, there are exceptions to this, but. Again, if we go back to those phases of development, there is a savior complex sort of thing that happens. It happened to me, and it was nothing to turn that on and activate that in me. I was not on that path of saving the world. And, you know, two days of Scientology recruitment, and I'm a wide-eyed fanatic. I mean, it was really quite amazing how fast it happened. And I've studied this now and see that this is actually a thing. And the other group is the is the is the people you're talking about the 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 um the all inners the extremists the people who are used to being in a group that is authoritarian that is like really controlling these high control groups religions can be very high control groups local chapters of of churches maybe the church overall isn't a cult but that local chapter sure is <laughs> You know, yeah. and people yeah. come out of these things and their heads are all messed up about what commitment is, what responsibility and obligation are about, what, you know, and they, and they bring that to other things they get involved in and see things that just aren't there, you know, and, and you make a great point about the atheist quote unquote movement, because it is a disparate group of individual different and, and groups that are not all marching in lockstep at all. The only thing they all agree on, the only thing, is you know this this lack of belief in God, a rejection of this of this deity concepts, and, and and everything else is up for grabs as far as what these groups and ideas and and people are what ideas they're they're holding on to. So I, get, I guess I, I get you know. upset about you know the intolerance of self reflection and internal criticism, and this mm -hmm. is true. In the atheist movement, sometimes it's certainly true among many of my fellow lefties who have gone, who've done what you talk about. They're, it's it's a kind of dogmatism. Like they're, like I'm proud left. I'm proud proud liberal. Mm -hmm. I have liberal values. If you were to go through everything from reproductive rights, right to die issues, the legalization of drugs, the role of government, healthcare, blah blah blah. I mean, time and again, I end up left. Okay, but there's a faction of my own camp that has become like a cult. And if you are not 95 to 99% in agreement, you are in league with the enemy, yep. you know? So if you say, well, I, I disagree or I have concerns or we should pause, let's take a breath and take a look. They're like, you know who else said we should pause? The Nazis, you know, those types of people. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> and so if you stop and you say, well, hang on just a second. We're not, we know we're not perfect. We have issues. There's this thinking, well, if you take any time to address issues in your own camp, you are cheating time that you should be on, using on the greater evil, which is them, you know, mm -hmm. us versus them. And I'm like, well, if, if we aren't shoring up our own camp, if we're not doing any analysis or criticism, it means we're leaving all criticism to the opponents, right? You, I'm letting Fox News have all the criticism. And beyond that, I think in terms of my values, I don't want a broken ship. I want to be able to go in and make it more efficient, more effective, more, be more better. I'm going to make it better. And so, you know, we, especially in the online age, and you've seen this, Chris, we are so eager to turn potential allies into enemies. And uh -huh. I don't know if that's like, so we can be the hero against the villain. 
Like the more you're the villain, the more I'm going to be the hero. Is that a kind of virtue signaling? I'm uh, yeah. not a big fan of the term virtue signaling because well, sometimes I think it's leading by example, taking a stand. But I mean, some of these people, when they chest thump and, and point and mock and gawk and call out otherwise good people who might have a bad idea or disagreement and just call them the enemy, I think, oh, what a freaking waste. And liberals are guilty. Many liberals are guilty. And I grow really frustrated. Yeah. by this idea that we can't, you know, somehow analysis and correction within our own tent is a cheat. It drives me crazy. Well, I tell you, you're also just proving again, though, the point I was just making, right? And that you started making, which is the atheist movement yeah. is not really a one vector, all moving, you know, all forces aligned and moving in a straight direction. It's just, that's just not the picture at all. And uh, and to pretend otherwise is really just a pretense. Um, but it's easy to see why people who have an authoritarian, high control background or mindset would lay that template on it when they perceive it, when they see it. Ah, it's a religion. Ah, it's just, you know, it's scientism yeah. and, and all this crap, right? Um, you know, if you don't understand what a religion actually is, you're going to say stupid crap like that. And, and that's an unfortunate problem that we have is that these, these terms are complicated. They're nuanced. They're, they're, they're deep concepts, you know, even in the atheist world, they, they miss on this too, which is, which is frustrating. Sometimes I saw a tweet this morning, religion is just a set of ideas. No, it's not. <laughs> it is way more it's than way a set more. of ideas. It's way more. Way well, more. I, I'm it's sharing culture, an article this it's history, weekend. It's, you know, it's ritual, it's rites. There's so much to it. So, I'm sharing an article this weekend about um, a guy who asserted that atheism is a worldview. And he is an apologist. And what he was doing was just what you were talking about, right? When you come out of a religious model, often you will project that. Like, mm -hmm. hey, how does the I'll get this in interviews with apologists. They'll ask me the question. Well, can you defend the atheist worldview? I'm like, well, I don't know. Atheism's not a worldview. Atheism is my position on a single question. That's but right. It's not a worldview. But That's if right. you are, if you come out of that model, and I've heard this from my my own mother, if I go to a convention of fellow atheists, well, that's atheist church. <laughs> and if you have a scientist on the stage, well, that's your atheist pastor, yep. mm -hmm. the science of religion. So, you know, if you're trained to assign a religious model to everything you do, Everything looks religious. And I just look at them like, what are you talking about? If that's true, then rock concerts are church. Then bowling night is church. Comic-Con is church. You know, uh, what do you, this idea that people getting together to share common interest, enjoy common things, to learn, to grow, whatever. Community, it's just another example of religion sort of trying to brand itself and uh, label itself using its own sort of limited means. I will tell yeah. you this, Chris, and I don't do a lot of, pointing around the movement. It's hard for me because when I see a misstep that might cheat the movements or movements as a whole, in other words, I think leadership demands that I take a stand and say something publicly. That's a tough line for me. When do you see it as, well, this is just infighting. This is not my fight. Mm-hmm. I need to serve the larger community and stay on message right. to continue to do what I'm doing. And, and I have that. And most of the time, that's where I lean. You know, mm -hmm. you want to get into that drama, 
there goes a week of your life, right? And they will suck you down into the pit with them. Oh, yes. But occasionally there'll be something where I'm like, well, if I'm going to lead by example, I need to lead by example. And I should make a statement about this of concern or disagreement from within. And that's a hard balance for me. Because, you know, infighting, man, that's a cancer. I don't mind self-criticism, but when people are, you've seen a lot of this shit. I mean, they're, oh, look, I'm going to screenshot this awful person. And then I'm going to screenshot when they blocked me. And they're going to write a blog about me. And they're going to do yeah. a video. And here's a response video. And oh, <laughs> and I'm just grieved at the idea that somebody who might be genuinely seeking what atheism is genuinely about and is there a good life beyond it they do a a search on youtube and that shit is the first thing they find right oh, it, just, it just hurts me it hurts I me you know? i know it's so funny well yeah. here's here's the controversial part of my of my position on this is if you look at the background or if you look at the people who are doing that a lot of them are people who have come, who've just come out or recently, you know, or, or fairly recently, um, just came out of a high control group or a religion or, or had a religious traumatic experience. Now, let me make sure I understand. Do you think it's because they're like, I was pissed off for about four years after right. I came out of, you right. think it's that they're just a race car in the red zone still? Or? Yes, that's what I think. And I think that huh. they're taking their habits from the high control extremist mindset pattern of thinking which is all or nothing we're all in on this it's black and white right and they kind of misapply it through through habit to this new set of ideas that they have glommed on to religion betrayed them now they're atheists great i that, that's not the bad part right i'm not i'm not i'm not against that at all people are free to make any decisions they want on that I'm commenting on the fact that when you're in an extremist high control situation and you come out of that, if you don't get some education and some counseling and some work and you don't do some work about that, you're going to bring that same kind of thinking, not the same ideas, the same way of thinking about ideas. Hmm. And we tend to have that's our personality. That's how, that how we think about stuff. Not you know, not what we think, but the the way we think about it. And I was incredibly. I mean, I'll I'll put myself up as as a, as the horrible horrible example of this. I came out of Scientology, thought I was ready to go, thought after a year I was going to be completely over it. I said, I told my friends when I started a YouTube channel. I said, if I'm still talking about Scientology in a year, I want you to I want you to shut me up. I want you to stop me. Right. And after a year, I had barely started the process, right, of changing how I think, not what I think. And that, that's the critical thinking component of my life experience that I'm bringing to this that I think, you know, everybody could get something from. And uh, that's, yeah. So I was talking to the uh, YouTuber Jimmy Snow on my show last year. Mm -hmm. He said something that I thought might have some merit to it. He said... His advice to people whenever they want to be activists and they've just come out of a high control religion is to, for the first four years, you need to shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know, And I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it's this notion that you need time, right? It, mm -hmm. I heard Chrissy Stroop, uh, was it Chris, or Lauren O'Neill say, or borrow the phrase, 
you know, write from your scars, not from your wounds. And I think this is true when uh, it comes to communicating yeah. in any format. I mean, I was still pretty wounded when I came out. Yeah. And as a result, I was I was edgy and kind of nasty. And it took me a few years to find uh, a calmer temperature, a more empathetic and compassionate, more effective temperature. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I see what you mean. I, I had also, I, I wasn't aware of of how I was still using a lot of religious models. I was still, you know, my brain was still sort of infected with a lot of those mechanisms that I needed time to navigate out of. I think people have to be patient with themselves. I'm going to say something controversial since you're in the controversy <laughs> business today, Chris. <laughs> I think it's important that we counter the apologists, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the apologists are out there and they're banging their podiums and they're talking about everything from oh you've heard it all oh yeah the uh you know the universal moral standard objective morality the argument from design the genome uh the you know inerrancy of scripture blah 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 mm -hmm. but you know when i was a devout believer and i was in as deep as anybody i was in as deep as anybody you know, I'd never heard of William Lane Craig. I never, I, who the fuck is? I've never heard of Kent Hovind. Right. Who's that guy? Right. Ken Ham. I, yeah. That doesn't impact my life, right? And I really do think beyond the fact that they will occasionally make a public statement that should be countered, we are spending way too much time on these academic, sometimes PhD types, who are pounding the apologetics drum, and I think in some ways using the atheist movement to try to stay relevant. Have mm -hmm. you noticed they're posting their own stuff, but they get talked about sometimes a lot more on our stuff, right? <laughs> I mean, if it wasn't for us, nobody would know who Kent Hovind was. Exactly. Give a shit. Exactly. Ken Ham, well, he's got the Ark Encounter, and yeah, we need to address the, you know, the debacle going on in Kentucky. But theologically... In the Christian faith, he's irrelevant. He's irrelevant. You know, I, I didn't believe for reasons of apologetics when I was a believer. And I, I think a lot of what we do in the atheist culture is we just think, well, I'm going to do a call-out video on an apologist and show how misguided he is. Or I'm going to do a screenshot of his website and say, look at this craziness. And I think we need more of a focus on the human beings who are involved every day in the community of church, Yep. who um, are, they don't know who these apologists are. They don't care. They won't be, uh, you know, counter-apologetic out of their faith. I don't know. I, I look at all the, the emphasis that people are spending on fucking Ken Ham, and I just shake my head yep. and go, you know what? You're giving that guy so much oxygen, probably more Kent Hovind. And William Lane Craig, who, uh, as far as I'm concerned, are just on the cusp, if not over the line of outright irrelevance in this world. Okay. You know, let them put them out to pasture and let's focus on the greater, more urgent needs that we have, which is everyday believers who don't know about any apologists who are navigating through superstition. I don't know. I, that's, right. I, that's probably a controversial take. You know, the idea that many of these apologists, the quote unquote famous apologists, I think we're spending way too much time on them. I think most of them are just totally irrelevant. You know, let's move I, on. I, I think you're absolutely right. And an analogy I will make is 
the same level of oxygen we pump into the balloon of flat earth and Alex Jones and conspiracy theories, right? Why does Alex Jones get millions of views? It ain't because millions of people believe his bullshit. It's, um, it's just not. That is not that case. It is the case that a ton of people can't believe what comes out of that guy's mouth and can't wait to hear what's going to come out next because he's just so bloody insane, right? And you and you listen to this and you just go, I can't believe a human being is saying this crap. Now, I do know some you know? Alex Jonesers in my relative. Now, granted, I'm in Oklahoma. Yeah. So I don't have a number as to how many people, you know, buy his sort of don't tread on me conspiracy craziness. Yeah. But I see what you mean. He's probably gotten more oxygen from the finger pointers my than point. he would have gotten from anybody else. Exactly. It's a, I'm not trying to make an argument that Alex Jones has no supporters. The man's a millionaire. He clearly has supporters. My yeah. point is that it ain't the numbers, right? You look at flat earth, and this is something I know a lot more about on the ground. I mean, I've, I've been to the conventions. I've talked to the flat earthers. I've been to the meetups. Um, you know, I've, I've done deep dives on this stuff, and there are just not that many. You know, another very relevant example I guess I could bring up, which will be controversial on my channel, uh, Controversy Day, is um, Scientology itself. Here I am going on and on. I have produced thousands of hours of videos about the Church of Scientology, its beliefs, its abuses, its practices, etc., its history, my experience with it. It is a tiny, insignificant, statistically irrelevant group. It may be 20,000, 30,000 people internationally are part of that group. It is, it, is, it is nothing in the bigger picture, except a brilliant case study in how we all fall into some pretty crazy stuff. And, and it's the broadening of my view over time, I think, and I think yours too, that we're kind of talking about is we can micro-focus on these niche things and miss the broader picture and potentially miss on, um, well, miss on some potential we have to do better work, more outreach, broader work, you know, things that will appeal to a broader group of people in terms of, you know, here's a, here's a question that, that needs to be answered by the atheist community is, what's a good emotional needs alternative to God? How do you fill, how do you fill that void? Because, you know, the existential crisis that people feel when they lose their faith is real. And they will hold on to that faith, even with all their doubts and reservations, and even with abuse added on top of it, rather than have nothing. No one's really answered that question yet. It's a lot easier to do the counter-apologetics. I'm not, you know, just like it's easier to do the Flat Earth videos I, I've done those videos. I've done that, you know, why is flat earth bullshit videos. They're not hard. Talking about emotional needs and how to and how to deal with those, that's a lot harder. <laughs> you know? I um I look forward to uh, somebody's Twitter post that says Seth Andrews declares we should not counter the apologists because that's what they're going to do. Right, you know? of course. Uh, I'm not saying I think I I made clear with a caveat at the beginning. Yep. Sometimes I, I know, hell, um, who's that hate pastor? Um, Greg Locke? Yeah, Greg Locke. I was thinking Steven Anderson. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I'll retweet something that Greg Locke has done, not because he has a, a massive congregation, but he does have, I think, over a million followers online. And 
And, you know, he's out there pounding his drum and doing great damage, you know, but I don't spend a ton of time on him. So I'm not saying that we don't, you know, draw attention to and debunk the bunk. I think that's part of what we do, but it's right. certainly not. I don't think it's all of what we do. I don't, for my case, not even the majority of what I do, because most people aren't in their faiths because an apologist held a conference and they went and, you know, said, oh, William Lane Craig is so... I, like I say, the vast majority of the people I could knock on their door right now after they go to church, say, hey, what do you think of William Lane Craig? And they'd go, who? <laughs> they have no idea who he is. And um, beyond that, you make a great point about what we're asking of believers when we say, walk away from your faith or walk away from this notion of God. Because for us, many of us, especially those who are well outside the bubble, we're like, uh, I mean, how hard is it? You know, just tell people you don't believe in God. You know, come on, you coward. What's the matter with you? I did it. My friends have done it. Why won't you do it? We're not asking people merely to walk away from this idea of God. We are essentially, in some ways, asking them to potentially be shunned, by, if nothing else, emotionally, by a mother, a father, maybe end up in a divorce proceeding with their spouse and a custody battle that will follow the community, the church, the people who have been there for them in times of trouble, who are their most cherished friends, the feeling of security and goodness, the, the joy of having communal music together and, and fellowship, for lack of a better word, hugely attractive. You're not just asking someone to, you know, make an open statement of, of non-belief in regard to God. You are essentially unraveling or asking them to unravel the fabric of their very life. And we need to start showing those people a lot more compassion and grace. Exactly. Because the consequences are so dire, it's easy to understand why they wouldn't want to go deeper into these conversations, why they want to just kind of play it safe, why I don't want to make waves, I don't want to lose everything. They often, I mean, I remember back in 2007, Chris, I couldn't sleep at night. My gut was in a knot. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I thought. My whole world was unraveling. My boss was a believer. Is he going to fire me? I'm getting kind of long in the tooth. What in the world else would I do to pay the bills? I don't have another means of, of revenue. You know, my family, were they going to discard me? Who, who am I? It took me a long time to get through that. Yep. And, uh, you know, we as an atheist movement, man, we need to see through the eyes of these people and understand the trauma, the religious trauma that they have been going through and the consequences they face coming out, that will make us more effective and I think more compassionate and empathetic as we do the activism we do. Exactly. I preach it, man, as exactly the path. That's exactly the, what I'm the soapbox I'm on right now on this, because <laughs> we can because we can be more effective and we can grow. And if we want to have a movement, we can have movement. But but we have to we have to start acting in a way that is not so hostile to people who have different ideas from us, you know, and this is... Do we come back from that in the age of the internet, Chris? Like, when it's so easy to just mash out a 280-character insult against an avatar that we... Some total stranger. Yeah, I you know. know do we... I, I mean, I don't know. What's the future even look like? The future of discourse? You know? Well, you know, know, I wanted to... I'm glad you're... I'm glad that you brought that question up because I think that some... Um, that that you wrote a book that has a lot to do with 
and I and I was and I was I, I wanted to bring this up in in this podcast today about Fox News, about you as a former Fox News Christian nationalist type person, right? And yeah. um, that's you know part of your backstory, and and you wrote this great analysis of this stuff and. Um, yesterday, I I kind of wrote out a on Twitter of all stupid places, uh, a kind of a breakdown of 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 how is it that you know can a news source and I'm not just talking about Fox News right now can sure. a news source be a cult? Can it can there be an information cult? Well, apparently there can because we have this thing called QAnon and we have. Before that, the internet propagation of flat earth. And we have other things, Pizzagate, you know, 4chan, various things that indicate that you can start a movement of sorts, right? You can get a culture going on the internet. And this is, this is a new phenomena because of the power of the communication and the speed with which it happens. So we see that that's a reality. We can all look at QAnon and go, yeah, that's culty. That's crazy. There's, there's some really nutty stuff going on there. And there were real world consequences on January 6th of this year as a result of that. That's not just some airy fairy idea set. It's real world. So what about news sources, right? If, the, if, if that's QAnon, if that's just a little, you know, crazy group on the internet, what about the largest news sources we have and the information they're giving people and what kind of phenomena do we get? Well, we get black and white thinking, we get us versus them, we get the divisiveness, we get the my truth is, is more than your truth, alternative facts. This is all culty stuff. So my take is, yeah, we are developing information cults and those information cults are dividing us. And I think that your analysis of this, you're, you know, you're writing about this and your background with this as you, you sort of uniquely qualify to talk about this too, you know? Well, I also, it's weird. I spend most of the book uh, talking about this evangelical conservative Fox News culture, but I reserve the final chapter for some criticism among my fellow lefties. Mm -hmm. And as much as I hated to betray the notion of binary thinking, you're right. We tend to, again, I, we tend to, it's like when we talk about cancel culture, okay? And I did a whole show on this. I think we want this to fit on a bumper sticker. Cancel culture is real. Cancel culture is bogus. And I'm like, well, I, this stuff is so unbelievably complicated. Yep. I have come to the position where a lot of what we call cancel culture is just consequence culture. Somebody does something that is a violation of terms of service or just outright awful and a private entity decides we don't want to be associated with you, et cetera. But at the same time, I can see people who operate in that sort of extreme dogmatism that you and I have been talking about who just take that too far and it becomes mobs and threats. You know, we see, uh, you know, I, one of the examples, a couple of the examples I used were uh, Liam Neeson talked about a racist thing that he had done 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And people said, digitally remove him from the, his latest movie. Damn it. You know, he has no place in polite society. And I'm like, you know, there are instances where people are overreacting and mobbing otherwise good people. And we are not allowing for change for personal evolution. We're not allowing compassion. We're not even allowing for discussion. 
you know, drive him out of polite society, ruin his life, make him afraid to stick his head out for the rest of his life. And I'm like, well, hang on just a second. Has anybody engaged this person in a way that's not going to cause those doors to shut, that's not going to cause that amygdala to fire up, that's not going to cause them to double down, freak out and feel attacked and going back into their shelter? Have we had a conversation? You know, because I, when did conversation become the enemy of goodness? I thought changing the culture through dialogue was part, was what we were about. Exactly. You know, I, I just don't think that everybody who does something or says something that is either wrong or something we disagree with, hell, even awful, needs to be immediately steamrolled right at the outset when we might be able to go in and create an opportunity to broaden horizons, to educate. But we're not going to do that by throwing bricks at people. And there is a faction, a dogmatic faction. I know the right is full of it, but there's a portion of my fellow lefties do the same shit. Mm-hmm. And I and if you stop and say, well, you know, we may w- want to not do that. They're like, well, you know who else said that? The Nazis. Exactly. And then Seth Andrews, hashtag centrist trash. Seth yeah, Andrews says right. we should acquiesce to conserve. Yeah, and and I get discouraged in my heart. I'm, I just fight discouragement. I, I've... I've gone through the valley, man. Yeah. And without sounding like a freaking Hallmark movie, I got uh, this email a few weeks back from somebody. And it was so, it was long and it was really heartfelt. And it was, I was in a dark place. I, I just couldn't jive it anymore, right? My religion wasn't working for me, but I didn't know what to do next. And I, 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 you know, I was just in a bad way. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. And I Googled atheist and your show popped up and I began listening along and I realized I wasn't alone. And a lot of the stuff you guys were talking about actually made sense. And this helped me to sort of, you know, continue my own journey. It gave me courage. It it helped to open the door, to nudge it open so I could walk through, you know. And uh, now I'm living my life my way on my own terms, God-free, and I just wanted to say thank you. Now, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not participating in an act of self-gratification here. What I'm trying to say is, is that those moments are the reminders that beyond all the snarkiness and the infighting and the scandal and the awfulness and whatever other stuff we're doing at each other, I think we have to be reminded that the reason we're doing what we're doing is for people like that yeah. who, you know, they just need to know, Hey, there's a better world out here and it's okay. And the more time we are distracted, chewing each other to shreds and screaming into the void and keyboard mashing, like, you know, we're out of our minds, the less time we're able to focus on people like the person who wrote that email who genuinely needs us at a critical moment in their lives. And so that's been fuel for me. So when I get in the valley, it sounds really cornball, but I get in that valley and I'm discouraged. And I'm like, God, I just can't take it. I actually pull up, I have a folder of emails like that. And I just sort of browse them again. And I'm like, okay, all right. Uh, nice. That's why I'm here. That's why we're doing what, what we're doing. And it, it helps to fuel me and refocus me and give me perspective. And maybe that'll help somebody else, you know, just find a success story somewhere and be reminded of why activists are activisting out there. 
Yeah, good, very good point and and wonderful story there. I I want to ask you about something that just it occurred to me when you were talking about the cancel consequence culture of things, and I think this might be kind of important to the point. Um, you know, a while back in in part of my studies, uh, and and I went and we did a podcast about this. I talked about double binds, the concept of double binds which are these, you know, sort of rules, regulations, ideas put there that bind you so you can't win for losing. It's the catch-22s of the world, and we are surrounded by them, and these have been studied in social science. And I think, I think one of the double binds at the heart of this cancel culture nonsense, the logic of it, is I think there's this idea that, that if you're asserting that something that somebody did 30 years ago is so awful that you have to destroy their life now, aren't you kind of really saying at a fundamental level that people can't change? Yeah. That people are always the same. Well, look, he was a dick 30 years ago. He's still a dick now. He's going to be a dick forever. There's no getting rid of his dickiness. And so we just have to <laughs> ruin this person, right? And then remove them, as you say, from polite society. Yeah. And... Yet, the double bind here is, but I'm creating all this outrage and I'm going to cancel this person. I'm going to make this big stand because we have to change. Something has to change. Yeah. And it's a double bind, you know, well, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, well, I, I, it very well may be. I see it as they believe this person can never be reasoned with or they are defined by this one thing. Right. right? Binary yeah. thinking. That's right. That's right. And to improve the culture, we simply have to take out the trash. I think that's a lot of what they're about. So, yeah, we'll change society, but we're going to go deal over here with people who they are reasonable and they are toxic and they aren't awful and they aren't the enemy. Right. And these other people, we're just going to throw them out. Right? They're garbage. In fact, we see that language used all the time. You're yeah. trash. You're true. human garbage. Garbage person. It's true. I have to admit, I've used that language. It's true. No, no, no. It's totally I, true. I get it. Yeah. I mean, and I understand. There, again, I can see someone. Seth Andrews says, you know, awful. Alex Jones is not garbage. Right. And right. I'm like, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. Right. But I am saying, you know, sometimes these are theaters for surgery and we walk in with a freaking machete and start flailing about. That's right. You know, much of this is situational. I think, you know, we shouldn't. There's a notion out there, Chris, that if we are considerate and cons, we use consideration and we take a second and breathe and get and assess and figure out and let the fog clear and take a rational, reasonable, measured approach that somehow we've sold out because you know how, why would you ever have to pause here? I mean, this is an easy one. This is a no brainer. Well, if you paused, well, you must be hesitant. If you're hesitant, it means you're weak. Maybe you're even sympathetic to the enemy. Maybe you're even in league Thank with God. them. So now we've taken you and we put you over here in the trash bag with the other human trash that we're about to take out. Here's another catch-22, and you tell me if this is a, a bind. What do you call it? A, a double, double bind? Double bind, yeah. yeah. All right, so somebody comes at you, and they accuse you of being, I don't know. Uh, you know, the, Somebody says, you're, a, you're this. You're, you are this pejorative. Uh, racist. Well, we'll say you're sure. a racist. Sure. And, you know, if you genuinely don't have racist 
opinions are attitudes. Maybe you criticize someone who is not white and it was interpreted that you are racist or something because, you know, you criticized a non-white. I don't know. You can put that scenario together any way you wish, but you get where I'm going with it. Mm -hmm. So then you say, well, I'm, I'm not a racist. I mean, I, I don't have those attitudes. And their response will be that double, double bind, right? You know, only a racist would be so defensive. Exactly. Saying that they, yes. they would declare they're not a racist. What else would a racist yes. do but say, well, I'm not a racist. Now you're a double racist. That's right. So, that That is the exact definition of a double. You're nailing it. Okay. Okay. Because yes. it's myself, crazy well, making. It drives you crazy. It does. It, it's yes. a lose lose and i haven't i honestly i've given up talking to a lot of those people yep. there is some truth to the idea that it's not what you're called it's what you answer to there's some truth to that but at the same time if enough people are pointing and shouting and slandering you or libeling you the right move is to correct the record and to hold up your hand and go i'm, I'm not any of these things that you say this is an unfair representation and you know and then they say well me thinks he doth protest too much he exactly. must be all the things that we say he's being. There's a lot of that on the internet. I watch it from a distance and I just think, oh God, where's the grace? Where, where's the discourse? At least start with calm voices. And then if you find out they're being hideous or you see real evidence that they are a racist or a sexist or a predator or whatever they're going to be, I mean, whatever that is, you know, then it's time to get good and pissed off and, and whatnot. But we, I don't think we start by assuming the worst, I think, well, let's find out. Let's take a second. We're supposed to be creatures of evidence, for Pete's sake. Exactly. And um, <laughs> supposed know, to I, be. <laughs> I just see a lot of that going on. You know, I, the, the movement's full of amazing people. There are a lot, I, I bitch about the problems because that's where our area of focus would be. You know, you, you don't right. always talk about, uh, well, everything's working perfectly because that's not, you know, often you want to find the hole in the boat and try to patch it. So I think that's a lot of what we've been talking about today. But there's so many people out there who are, not those people. Oh, absolutely. And who have real compassion in their hearts, and I'm thankful for that. I'm trying to maintain that in my own life, you know? Yeah. I just don't want to become so freaking scarred or numbed over or burned out that I end up just, you know, just, I don't know, what's the word, fatalistic, you know, about it all? Yeah, yeah. disaffected, you know? Yeah. yeah, definitely disillusioned. I definitely track with what you're saying. I've learned the power and importance of self-care over the last few months and, yeah. you know, just even giving myself little staycations and stuff. I mean, it's been really important to me. I've, I've, I've really made a difference in giving myself some time because I've, you, you I, you know, the, the, the people who do what we do tend to immerse ourselves in the awful a lot. You know, we're, we're, we're kind of, because that's what we talk about and we try to push back. I think it you know? affects my the algorithms that populate my feed. Yeah, because I'm you know if I'm engaging you know here and I'm doing that and I'm posting this, I think all of a sudden I'm seeing less and less of the frivolous and fun and social and connecting and friends and family, right. and I'm seeing more of like the worst headlines of the world that's on right. my feed. I don't think that's healthy, you know. Well, you know, there was a calculation that now I've never talked about before, but there was a calculation made by me as to why I post dad jokes all the time on social media. And it was it was an algorithmic decision on my part. I didn't That's want smart. my feed to just be the awful. That's smart. Yeah. I I, I post memes and funny stuff <laughs> yes. on my pages occasionally. <laughs> I I you know, in the hopes that it might plus I honestly think that you know, life is to be lived. 
I mean, there are so many critical fights to be had out there. But if all we're doing is pointing out the awful, yeah, we need to be enjoying the good. You know, if we're going to point out the darkness, we also need to be spreading some light. Exactly. And uh, you're right that, you know, we as a movement have not done a very good job. Actually, let me say it differently. We've done a piss poor job of providing the, the net for people to fall out of or fall into rather whenever they leave a religious community, right? We'd like you to leave the support structure. We'd like you to, to do all the stuff that might ostracize you from people. What are we offering in return? You know, are we offering community and gathering and support systems and structure when we're wildly unorganized sometimes that's a really good thing but sometimes it's terrible because these sort of hipster atheists decide that well i'm i'm not a joiner i came out of one church i'm not going to join somebody else and i'm like that's just stupid this yep. is what human beings do and if we're going to ask people to take that big leap off the cliff we have to provide the nets for them to fall into and beyond that, I'm sick and tired of the church telling everybody that it owns community. Exactly. I'm tired. What? When did the church own it? They do it well. They say they own it. But community is a human thing. And we need to stop apologizing for getting together, whether it's yep. a pub or whether it's a convention or whatever. You know, Big time. Big time. In fact... Um, dare I say, I think you and I or uh, will be setting up another podcast to talk about that subject because yeah. that is yeah. a whole thing in itself. And I very much would like to tackle that. So um, I would like to throw a really probably really stupid analogy out, but it was a life experience that happened to me yesterday. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe with some of what we've been talking about here today, maybe this might fit. And I, and, and if I'm straining, you go ahead and let me know. I was walking down the stairs yesterday. I'm up on the third floor of an apartment building now, and I'm walking down the stairs with a box. And you know how when you're carrying a big-ass box and you can't see where your feet are going and you're walking downstairs of all things, it's, it, you know, you become a little cautious, or at least maybe you should, and because uh, you can slip and fall very easily. And I found myself going like like 90 year old slow like suddenly i was going very slowly down the <laughs> stairs right i am really gonna go very cautiously take this next step because i can't see it and of course i immediately thought of a leap of faith and taking that next step knowing faithfully that another step is going to be there yeah. And where is it going to be? And tempering this with the earlier experience of misstepping, you don't see the last step or you see it, you know, or you think there's another one and, you know, you, your brain miscalculates and you end up hurting yourself. You know, it's, it's startling to a degree that you don't want to have it happen to you again. But what I realized walking down the stairs is when I got to the last step, I could tell where I was. Because I could look around and I should know how tall I am. And, and, and I should be able to tell when I'm standing on solid ground by how tall I am. In other words, this piece of knowledge should be able to, this perception should be able to replace this need I have for a leap of faith. This faith that the next step will be there. I should be able to not have that because I should just know when I get down to the bottom of the stairs because I can see how high it is. I, like I said, this is a little strained, but it was this knowledge versus faith thing, you know, I, 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 and, and I was, 
And even knowing the process I was going through as I was walking up and down these stairs, I couldn't, the, it, it, knowing how tall I was or knowing this piece of information that would somehow make this faith go away never did. It didn't, it didn't really do it. I still had this emotional, oh my God, I'm going to fall and hurt myself. And, I'm, and, it, and it didn't fully take. It took me going up and down the stairs about five times as I was carrying boxes up and down before I finally, through practice, became less afraid of misstepping and falling and hurting myself. And I guess the only point I'm trying to make is just because you point a piece of information out to somebody doesn't mean it's immediately going to take away all that emotion. Yeah. You got to practice think, I think it. what you're speaking to is spatial awareness. Right. Well, I was. If, yeah. If, as if a point people, of yeah, I mean, I buy the analogy. Uh, we have to understand that while we're barking things at, at those navigating the steps, that many of them are not yet spatially aware. Maybe they are simply finding their footing. There I go. think that's a good analogy in that way. And mm -hmm. the more they sort of, uh, you know, take those next steps and the more familiar they become with where they are spatially, I think the more confident they become. Yes. So I, I, I buy that analogy. I think it has a lot of merit. Cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll work it over a bit because I think I think the idea is there and I think it's a good one because because we are asking people, you know, you have to go back and remember what that what what that headspace felt like, you know, when you were in it because it's comforting. You're there for a reason. You know, people don't join cults for no reason. <laughs> they don't join these groups and and keep part of this, you know, for for nothing. They they are there are deeply emotional and and human needs that are satisfied by these things and and it's not just an idea set. I'm doing a show uh, coming up in the month of May. I've got Dr. Andy Thompson who's a psychiatrist. I have Dr. John Wathy who's a neuroscientist. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get into why we have evolved this tendency toward sort of looking up to the heavens and, and how that relates to uh, survival mechanisms. Um, you know, there are more and more increasing, there's, there's really fascinating models about the biological tendencies we have that draw us into God belief and religious thinking. And I think it's going to be a great journey for people. And I also think, you know, when they begin to understand how and why these brain mechanisms fire, my hope is it will make them even more empathetic to those who were sort of uh, nudged that direction. You know, they have these natural yearnings or questions. Religion kind of goes, oh, it's over here. You know, I think uh, understanding brain science is one of the things we can use to try to more effectively deal with religious culture. Exactly. I, and I agree completely. I've, I've been on that path. And as far as I'm concerned, it's, it's invaluable information. Yeah. Isn't it frustrating sometimes when we're so into things, you know, into, into this knowledge and, in, and information and experience, and then, you know, you just know there's only a certain percentage of people you're going to reach with this, you know, and you do your best, you know, to try to, to try to communicate it as best you can. It's just, it's such a, uh, it's such a journey we're on. I, 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 you it know, really the stuff is. that gets me is the stuff I should have already gotten past. Mm. But, you know, thank you, Jesus, that the chemotherapy went well. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm surrounded by that kind of stuff. Um, we were talking about how culty everyday Christian Catholic things are like communion. Yeah. Somebody had posted online, 
You know, I used to talk like being washed in the blood was a totally normal thing. And now that I'm on the other side, that just sounds culty. In fact, I'm working on my next book idea, which is going to be an exploration of various things that mainstream Christianity does that when you look at them in a fresh light are really culty. And I don't know if it'll come to fruition, but I'm surrounded by culty behavior. And we just came out of Easter right? Uh-huh. I'm, I'm driving down the street and I see these child actors. They're dressed as Roman soldiers with styrofoam swords. They got a little child Jesus carrying the cross. And I'm like, culty. Yeah. <laughs> you have child children carrying out a murder play in a parking lot. I said, what? So, you know, I, I do have my, my moments, uh, you know, where I, that's been on my mind a lot lately, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I get, I think we just try to focus on the success stories. I, what else are we going to do? We're not going to give up. Well, you exactly. know, we can't concede all that ground to the people who are selling damaging superstitions. I think we have to resist. And so I'm going to keep kicking a few will. Okay? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And on that note, I think we'll wrap up. Thanks very much for, for taking some time and, and chatting with me here. I want to, I want to do this more often. This is fun. No, it's always a pleasure to join you and all my best in your work. Okay, bro. Awesome, man. Thanks. And get better, huh? It shall be done. <laughs> all right. And I will post links, of course, to uh, Seth's channel in the description section to this podcast so you guys can check out his channel if you are not already subscribed, which I'd be really surprised if a uh, number of you were not already. All right, folks. Uh, thanks for coming around and watching. And of course, if you want to support the channel, That is what Patreon and PayPal are all about. I have links to those also in the description section to this video and the uh, at sensiblyspeaking.com. All right. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.